0: Who are you? You are loved of God. That's who you are. At this time, we're going to dismiss our older children's church group to uh, exit and go. Appreciate them worshiping with us. You know They've got a great class. I appreciate uh, Brother Will from the Bible College who's been worshiping with us, uh, taking on that role and helping us get that started again. So that's a wonderful blessing. Um, let's be praying for them that they have a good lesson today. It's amazing what these kids will learn uh, when you teach them and what they'll learn if you're faithful to bring them to church. Uh, this morning, uh, Owen was singing a little song as I was tying his Converse tennis shoes. Owen was singing a song about uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And as he was singing his son he, or his song, he paused and he said, Dad, who's this God the Spirit? What's that about? And I began to explain to him how Jesus had promised us and told us that He would send His Spirit to remind us of what He taught and and the way that He wants us to live. So I encourage you, wonderful Sunday school teachers uh, at 9 o'clock, you need to get up and bring them because your kids will be uh, blessed, and uh, wonderful teachers during Children's Church as well. I think most of you here today, if I said the name Charles Dickens think many of you would know who I was talking about. Uh, Charles uh, Dickens wrote some plays that many of us are familiar with. Uh, Oliver Twist, David Copperfield, A Tale of Two Cities, uh, a a drama that revolves around the French Revolutionary War, and then probably everybody uh, knows A Christmas Uh, Carol Christmas story that he told about a guy named Ebenezer Scrooge. Most of you know about Ebenezer and about little Tiny Tim that Charles Dickens uh, wrote about. If you read the stories of Charles Dickens, and then you look at his biography, you will discover that a lot of his inspiration for the working class people that he writes about, the Tiny Tims and uh, others that make up his stories, came right out of his life. Parents and students, listen to this. Students especially, you hear this today and you should give thanks to God that you are not in this type of situation. There were no uh, child labor laws like we have today, or at least what they had were nothing comparable to when Dickens was a young boy in the 1820s in England. He was able to attend school as a child, but his father squandered the finances And he was thrown into a a debtor prison. All of the family had to go with the father into debtor prison except for 12-year-old Charles, 12 years old. 12 years old, Charles was sent to labor in a shoe polish factory to help make money. Condemned to an assembly line, he was forced to work 10-hour days in exchange for only 6 shillings a week. That's very, very small amount of money. 10 hours a day at 12 years old that he labored in this assembly line. Later, Dickens was able to return to school after his father repaid the debts, but he soon had to leave again to begin a career as an office clerk. Later, he would go on to write those plays that we know so much about. His story is truly a rags-to-riches story. He was in rags laboring, laboring as a child laborer, uh, but through a turn of events, he would later go on uh, to live a wonderful life and be uh, acclaimed by people all over the world. A rags-to-riches story. Last week, if you were with us, we read about a general, Naaman, who had the riches, he was a general in Syria, who had won a great victory, he was respected by his king, Uh, he had lots of wealth, lots of material things, but he had one huge problem. Naaman got the disease of leprosy, which if you were here, you remember we pointed out that leprosy in the ancient world is much like AIDS today, or at least how AIDS used to be, to some extent still is. People get AIDS. That's a social stigma if people find out. And uh, the cures for that are dicey if there's a cure at all. Leprosy was the same sort of way. When you got leprosy, eventually it was going to be noticeable because it was going to cover your body, your skin. So Naaman went from the riches to the rags. But we saw last week a young slave girl on the exact opposite end of the social spectrum, then Naaman told him about a prophet in the land of Israel who had the power from God to make clean those that were unclean. If you are glad that God can make those of us that are unclean clean, say amen. Amen. Naaman was so desperate like sick people many times are. Naaman was so desperate For healing that he was willing to take the word of this young slave girl and to go down to Israel. And he took lots of wealth and he took his mighty chair and he went down and he encountered the prophet, the prophet Elisha. And Elisha didn't do anything the way that Naaman thought it should be done. But Naaman was so desperate that Naaman did what the prophet Elisha said. He went to the river Jordan and he dipped and he dipped. And he dipped seven times, as the child song tells us. He dipped seven times in the river Jordan. And indeed, this one who was unclean was made clean, and the leprosy was gone because he trusted God and he obeyed what God's Word said. Naaman went from the bottom back to the top. Happily ever after, right? I mean, that sounds like... That could be a Disney story. They would modify it and they would clean it up and they'd make it acceptable for children. But that sounds like the happily ever after story that you would see in a Disney movie. But did you know that's not the end of the story? We sing the child's song... And many of us as kids learned that song, and that's all we know about Naaman. The reality is there is a sequel that occurs in the Bible with Naaman. The story continues a little bit further. And we see in Naaman and some other characters, we see the choices we make will either bring us the blessings of God, we will either walk in the path of God's blessing. Or we will walk in the path of God's curse. And we're going to see in a minute from this happily ever after story that has a sequel that the Lord God doesn't care your background, doesn't care if you were brought up in church, it doesn't care if you weren't brought up in church. Those things are, they matter, but in the end, when you are old enough, To make your own decisions. It's not whether or not you've been around the things of God that will save you. It is whether or not you are obedient to what God's Word says. And we're going to see today, we're going to see today the choice we have between the blessing or the curse. So go to Naaman chapter or Naaman. Go to 2 Kings chapter 5 and let's read about Naaman. 2 Kings chapter 5. Let's pick up in verse 14. All right, 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 14. Let's pick up when Naaman is dipped into the river. And then let's read the rest of his story. All right. So 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 14 it says there, what about Naaman that he went down and he dipped himself 7 times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. He was obedient to what God's Word had said. And because he, he did that, because he placed himself in the pathway of blessing, because he was obedient, what happened? His flesh came again, like unto or like the flesh of a little child. You've had little kids and how smooth their skin is and how soft it is to touch. Well, his was, his was marred by leprosy. And said now to touch it was as if he'd gone back in time and it was like touching A child, and he was clean. Verse 15, what did Naaman do? Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. Now remember how our story was last week. He is the general, he's the important one. He showed up at Elisha's house, out in his chariot, waiting, waiting for the prophet to come to him. Because he's the Syrian general, he's the one that's important. So the prophet should get out of the house and come to him because he has the authority. Maybe you know about General Douglas MacArthur. Some of you remember Douglas MacArthur. If you remember who, if you know who Douglas MacArthur is, raise your hand. No, he is. All right, he was the leader in the Pacific during World War II. In fact, his military career, his father had had won the honor of medal. In the Civil War, I think Douglas MacArthur, his military career started right at the turn of the century, the 1900s. I mean, he had already been in the military for, for almost 40 years when World War II broke out. The, the war broke out, he helped, he helped uh, win some victories and all this stuff, and, and he was a very powerful guy. He went to Japan after the war. After the war, he went to Japan. And he, uh, he totally... He had had real control in Japan and he totally took them from a feudal economy into the modern economy they are today. There's a story, I don't know if it's true or not, there is a story that when he got to Japan, they went by the emperor's palace and they said, you need to go see the emperor, right? He was the supreme ruler, although other people ran the government, he was the supreme ruler, they said, you need to go see him. And MacArthur supposedly said, said, no, he said, no, he said, he sits behind that, Walled city as a God, half God, half man. And he said, There's only one way to break, to break the history of Japan, only one way. And he goes, that is when, not when I go to him, but when he realizes that I'm in control and he comes to me. And he said, MacArthur supposedly said, when the emperor leaves the palace and comes to me, that will send a signal to the people of Japan that he is no longer in charge. They are. Now whether that's true or not, MacArthur later got in big trouble because MacArthur and Harry Truman, the president, could not get along. And Harry Truman made some decisions that MacArthur did not like. And it was a big controversy. Some of you who are a little older may remember this. Big controversy when Harry Truman relieved Douglas MacArthur from being a general, called him home, and said, You have forgotten that the generals don't run this country, the civilian government does. MacArthur he was the powerful one. He'd been there forever. Harry Truman needs to listen to what I've got to say. And Harry Truman didn't play that game. And it, and it, was, a, it was a power thing. Well, we saw, we saw that Naaman shows up and the prophet will not come out. He will not play his game. The prophet doesn't even show up. He sends a servant to tell this general what he needs to go and do. But look at how things have changed. Look at now that that Naaman has experienced God's power. What does Naaman do? Verse 13, 15, verse 15. He returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, he goes now to stand before the prophet. And what does he say? What is it that makes him get up, get out of the chariot, and go to the prophet? he says, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. He says, I know who the true God is. Now therefore, I pray you, take a blessing of, or a blessing from, your servant." And he says, I know who the true God is. If you know through Jesus Christ that His Father is truly Father God, say amen. He says, I know. And he says, I brought all this wealth, all this stuff. Take it. What does the prophet say? Verse 16, the prophet said, Elisha said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he... Refuse Now, I'm not going to go back over all this, but part of this is probably a political thing that's going on. Remember the king of Israel we saw last week? He was afraid when Naaman showed up in Israel. The king of Israel got afraid because he said, the Syrians have sent him down here, and we're not going to be able to heal him. And that's going to give the Syrians an excuse to invade the land. And so there's this stuff going on, and so that may be a part of it. Part of it is I think Elisha just wants to know this was done through the power of God. And, and look, you're from Syria. You're not even a part of Israel. You're not bound to give me anything. Take this home and just, just go. But he says, hey, and apparently Naaman urged him, said, no, no, I've been cleaned. I've been healed. I want to give an offering to God. But Elijah said, no, 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 I'm not going to take it. So Naaman said, shall there not then I pray you be given to me, to your servant, two mules. Will you not take two mules and fill them up with a burden of earth? He says, can I please? Because I was unclean and I was dirty. and my life, I was about to die. My life was about to be over. But I have come to Israel and I have found salvation. He said, please, can I just get two mules? If you won't take my money, will you at least let me to get two mules and take dirt from Israel and fill up packs and put them on those mules? He, he, wanted, uh, he wanted a momentum. He wanted to remember. Kind of like the day we, we'd get souvenirs, right? We'd go on a vacation. We get a souvenir. We want a reminder. He wants, he wants to take this dirt back because he knows this was where his life was changed. His life was changed. There's also, in the ancient world, something going on here, probably religious. In the ancient world, uh, you know, they thought of their gods as tied to different lands. And he has discovered there's only one God, and it is in Israel. It is in Israel. This is where it's at. So he says, can I, can I have this? And then look what he says. Look at verse 17. Pay Very close to this. He says, Naaman said, shall there not then I pray you be given to your servant two mules burden of earth? For your servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offerings nor sacrifices unto any, unto any other God, but unto the Lord. If it is good when people leave their false gods to worship the true God, say amen. He says, I am not going to worship anybody else. I'm not going to make any other sacrifices. I'm not going to do that. But he says this one thing, verse 18. And this is one of the most intriguing verses in the Bible. In this thing, though, he says this, the prophet. He says in this thing, this one thing. The Lord pardon your servant. That when my master, he says, when I go back home, and my master, the king, who he is bound to, he has taken sacred oaths. I mean, this, this, isn't, we, this isn't they don't live in the world we live in. He doesn't just get to decide, I'm not going to work for the Syrian king anymore. He doesn't get to just decide that I'm not going to be a part of this anymore. That's why when, when, when God delivers the Hebrew children from Egypt, we're so radical about that and what is so important is when God shows up, he says to Pharaoh, he says, the reason they can leave is because they belong to me and they don't belong to you. Well, the Syrian king, though Naaman does belong to him. And God, your word does matter, folks. Doesn't matter what our society says. Your word does matter. And he's not an Israelite, and he's not a part of this. And he's bound to the king of Syria, who sent him down here. And so he knows he wants to worship the true God. But there's going to be one problem. And look what he says. He says, "Would you ask God to forgive me?" Why? Verse eighteen. In this one thing, that the Lord pardon your servant. That when my master goes into the house of Rimmon that is the false god of Syria that is their main god it's like they're like, like Baal that you read about in other countries in the old testament he says when they go into the house of Rimmon to worship there and he leans on my hand and through this ceremony they're forced to bow myself in the house of Rimmon he says this he says when i bow down myself in the house of Rimmon would the lord pardon your servant in this thing he says i know that god's not real and then I will go back for my civic duties that I have to fulfill, sworn to this king who has not released me from his power. I've not been released in this relationship. When I go back, I'm not of my own free will, he tells the prophet, I will never again of my own free will walk into a house of worship and bend the knee to a false god. He says, I will never do it again. And he says, though, would you ask God to forgive me when it's part of my civic responsibility I have to go in I have to go in and my king kneels to this God and we kneel to this deity. He said, would you ask God to forgive me? Now, we're going to come back to that in a minute. What did the prophet say? Verse 19, he said unto him, go in peace. He says, go in peace. Know that the peace of God is upon you and upon... That is very important. He says, go in peace. And so he departed from him a little way. Naaman is walking in the path of blessing. And he is receiving blessing from God. But there is another character in the story. Look what happens when he leaves. But Gehazi, we've seen him before. Remember him? Gehazi is Elisha's servant. He's the one when the man showed up. You remember we saw a couple weeks ago that a man showed up. There was a famine in the land and a wealthy man showed up and he gave lots of food to Elisha and to, and to his servant. And remember, the man tithed to Elisha and gave him the food. And Elisha said, go out and give the food to all the people that are starving. Go out and distribute it to them. And Gehazi is the guy who said, no, 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 we can't do that. We can't give them the food. There's not going to be enough for everybody. That's been given to you and to take care of us, there's a famine in the land. You can't do this. We've already seen him before. Verse 20, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman, this Syrian, and not receiving in his hands that which he brought." But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take some water. I will take some of this wealth from him. Elisha may have said "No, I'm not going to take any of this, and this is a work of God, and I'm not going to take this money from you, from this pagan land. Because remember, the king of Syria had given some of that money for Naaman to take down there. He says, I'm not taking any. Gehazi says, well, Naaman may have said that, but I was part of this. I'm the one, when we didn't know what this guy was going to do, I'm the guy that had to walk out to the chariot and tell him to go do this ridiculous thing to begin with, to go dip in the Jordan River, which remember we saw last week, Naaman at first was not happy that that's what he was told to do. And Gehazi's earned this money. He's done his part. He's stepped out when nobody else has to step out. And plus, Elisha keeps giving all their stuff away. So Gehazi says, I'll run after him and I'll take some. Verse 21, so Gehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down and he jumped down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well, Naaman now cares about Elisha. He cares about the nation of Israel because he knows they worship the true God. They're now Christian brothers and Christian, well, they're not Christian yet because Jesus hadn't come, but they're worshipers of the true God together. And let me tell you, when you worship the true God, you find out that your brothers and sisters transcend the national boundaries that exist. Amen? Transcends. And so this guy jumps off because they're now his brothers. What is he doing jumping off for a lowly servant of a prophet down in Israel? He needs to stay in the limousine. He doesn't get out. You don't get out. You, You roll the window down, one little crank and say, what do you want? Or your driver says that. You don't even say, he jumps out because this is his brother now. Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me. He lies. My master has sent me and said, Behold, even now, there's come to me. He says, My master has said, There's come from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of prophets. And give them, I pray you, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Gazi runs up and he says, Hey, I know you just left, but things just changed because these two young guys that are young prophets and young preachers of the word that just showed up and they don't have anything. And so so Elisha's told me to run after you and to come up to you and say, Hey, could you give us a little bit of that money and a couple of change of clothes? Because we're going to give it to them because they really, really need it. Look what Naaman says. Naaman says, Hey, don't just take one. He says, Be content. Take two talents. He goes, One for each. But he also urged him, Bound two talents of silver in two bags. So there's more, apparently two bags with two chains of garments, laid them upon his servants, and they bear them before him. He gives them what he wants. They go off. And when he came to the tower, what did Gehazi do? He comes back. He took them from their hands. So he sends his servants and says, go with Gehazi and take the money back. Well, they get back. They get to some tower that's there. And Gehazi takes the money and he takes the clothes from their hand. And he bestowed them, or he took them into the house. He hid them and he let the men go. And they departed. Now, if you have been reading the Bible Or you know the Bible, there should be alarms going off all over the place because your mind is going to be brought back to when Joshua, when they invaded the land and they defeated Jericho, but right after that, they were told not to take anything and there was a man in the army that took stuff and he hid stuff. And so alarm bells should be going off when you lie about God and God's work. And you disobey what God has said, and through the prophet it was said, You take all this back. You should already know, man, this is not going to be the path of blessing that Naaman's on. Gehazi is putting himself on the path of a curse. And so he takes it to the tower. And he took them from their hand, and he bestowed them or he hid them in his house. He let them in go. The servants departed. And Gehazi, he went in. And he stood before his master. And Elisha said unto him, Where do you come from? Whence come thou? Where do you come from? Gehazi? Hey, guys, I said, hey, your servant didn't go anywhere. He said, your, your, servant, hey, your servant went nowhere. I've been here the whole time. I didn't, I didn't go anywhere. And he said unto him, went not mine heart with you? Did you not go? And when the man, was there not a man that turned from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive garments and olive, olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants, maid servants? He says, hey man, I know exactly what you've been up to. And he is the prophet of God and the power of God has given him this vision. He is speaking for God and he says, I know exactly what you've done. In fact, let me tell you what you did. Let me tell you that I saw the man get out of the chariot to meet you. You cannot hide your sin from God. What does sin do? Look at verse 27. And the leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave. That is the same Language used when a husband and wife are to come together and to be one. When you, get, when you get married you make those vows and you promise to be there for one another, you cleave together, both literally and figuratively. That's what's supposed to happen. And he says, The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto you and unto your seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. Naaman and Gehazi, one man chooses to obey and trust God, and one man sins and brings a curse upon his life. Gehazi is familiar, right, with the ways of the living God, but he embodies a spirit of selfishness. You remember, as we've already said, he's the one that did not want to share the tithe offering that came in with the people. He is a Jew who is familiar with God's ways. Naaman is a Gentile who has known nothing about the ways of God. He did not grow up singing the Sunday school songs or hearing the preachers preach. And yet, in desperation, Naaman, the pagan, has trusted God. Both men are part of a rags-to-riches story, but they both end up on different sides. This morning, as we read this story, it should be a wake-up call from our slumber particularly those who are playing with sin, or those who are not taking serious the blessings of God in their life. Those that are not walking by faith, this is a wake-up call. That you are either on the path of faith, walking in obedience to God on the path of His blessings, or you are willfully rejecting God's path, and you are on a path that will bring judgment upon you. Did you notice that for every obedient right decision that Naaman made. Gehazi made the opposite decision. Did you catch that? I noticed at least three ways that Naaman does what is right and Gehazi does what is wrong. And this morning as I share these three, yes, write them down. Yes, make a mental note. But more importantly that, allow them to speak to your heart so that God could show you and point out to you, are you walking in obedience on the path of His blessing? Or have you left that path or a path of, of a curse and of judgment on your life. Number one, first thing that, that you could contrast between these two. Number one, Naaman makes confession. Naaman uses his tongue to make confession. Gehazi uses his tongue to create lies. Naaman makes confession. Gehazi makes lies. Look at uh, verse 15, uh, what it says. It said that Naaman returned to the man of God he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, this is his confession of faith, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray you, take a blessing of your servant. Naaman, with the knowledge that he has and the experience with God that he has had, he confesses his faith that the true God is this God of Israel. And he says, there is no other God but this one. Naaman did not run immediately back to Damascus in Syria. He did not run immediately back to the Syrians and say, Look at me and look at how my skin has changed. Instead, he went to Elisha and he proclaimed how great God is. In a world that ignores God and rejects God and, and follows after false ways, if you know indeed that God the Father of Jesus Christ is a great God, say Amen. He's the only God. And my friends, you're either walking in the path of His blessing that He gives, that He freely gives, you're either walking in that path, or if you have left it for a path that will result in curse and judgment and, and, and damnation for all of eternity. Naaman uses his tongue to make confession. And when you are walking with Jesus, you will also use your tongue to proclaim how great God is, how He saves from sin, when you are walking in the freedom of God's obedience, you will lift up your voice with the Psalms. You will lift up your voice to the heavens and you will proclaim the glory of God. When you are walking in the freedom of God's obedience, you will say as the psalmist said, make a joyful noise unto God, all you lands, Syria, Israel, America, the United States, Canada, Mexico, the Philippines, make a joyful noise unto God, all you lands. Sing forth the honor. What are we singing about? Sing forth the honor of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say unto God, how terrible, how awesome. How awesome are your works? are you and your works? Through the greatness of your power shall your enemies submit themselves unto you. All the earth shall worship you it shall sing unto you. They shall sing to your name. Come and see the works of God. When you have experienced the transforming power of God, then you will use your mouth to confess how great God is. But when you are on the path of destruction, you will engage in lies. And I have no doubt today, and I say this, I know we have some visitors here today, and you haven't, you know, I'm not your pastor and you haven't been with us for a long time. I promise you I love this congregation and I love the people in it. And I say this from a place of love. Every Sunday there are people that are walking in disobedience and they are cloaking their disobedience. And they're being deceitful about their disobedience. In some cases, it's been going on for years. In some cases, there are sins that are very, very, very deep. If I have learned one of several things being a pastor is this. You may walk for years in deceitfulness. And you may walk for years continually disobeying God's Word. But believe me, it is going to catch up with you. And there are people that have been a part of our fellowship and others that eventually, one day, the deceitfulness the lies, the dishonesty. It will blow up in your face like it did on Gehazi. And it doesn't matter on that day, believe me. It doesn't matter what I think or what the deacons think or what the person in the pew next to you thinks. That will not be your concern when you are on this path of the curse. What will be your concern is that gnawing knowledge in the back of your mind that you've been heaping upon yourself the judgment of God. So my friend, you are either using your voice today to confess to God or you are using your voice to tell lies to yourself, to others. Naaman makes confession, but Gehazi creates lies. The second difference between these two is that Naaman gives an offering. He's desperate to give this offering. By the way, did you notice last week, Naaman is basically trying to buy his salvation He's trying to say, I'm going to give you this much money so you will heal me. And the prophet, he's like, that's not how this game works. That's not what God does. You will not bribe God. This week, it's not bribery. This week, he comes back not offering a bribery. He has come back saying, God has done this to me. I want to give this to you. I want to make this a sacrificial offering to this God who has saved me, not to buy my salvation because it's already been given to Naaman. He's already been made clean. But he says, I just want to give a gift to God because of how good he has been to me. So Naaman is desperate to give an offering. Gehazi is desperate to steal from others. Naaman, desperate to give to God. Gehazi, desperate to take. Naaman offers up this gift in verse 15, but Elisha will not take it. So Naaman keeps the offering. Naaman's heart is right though. Naaman's heart is right. There's not a a heart problem here. God has healed him. And so Naaman wants to pour out the best of what he has into the Lord's work. And he knows that means supporting Elisha and his ministry in this case. What about you? Right, this is where I don't want you to lie to yourself. What are you offering to God? Your time, your energy, your wealth, your resources? Are you doing this to bless others and to bless God's work? And I don't just mean our church. I I do mean that. I do mean that. I, I am... It takes these wonderful teachers that teach and that are faithful, even on days they don't want to get up. I'm sure they have days they don't, they're not excited. And other days they have crises in their family. And, I know, and sometimes they can't be because of that. But there are days that sometimes things happen that, honestly, there are teachers that can decide, I'm not going to come today because this, this is really... And they get up and they come anyway, ready to give their heart. They've made a sacrifice. My friends, what... And, and we need to make sacrifice here, but I'm not just talking about here... I mean in the totality of your life. Are you blessing others with what you have? Or like Gehazi with the wicked heart, are you just taking what you can get from others? We have seen in previous weeks how God has provided for Gehazi and Elisha during the famine. God has been providing exactly what Gehazi needs, but He's not content to walk by faith. What God's been doing in the previous chapters requires the prophet's servant to walk by faith. And that's what Elisha has been trying to teach him and to show him that God will give you what you need. It may not be how you plan for it. It may not be what you think, but God will give you what you need and He will also provide blessings for others. But Gehazi is not content to walk by faith, so he lies. This morning, are you walking by faith in Jesus? Or are you just walking your own way? Walking in faith in Jesus or walking your own way. If you are walking your own way, you may fool others like Gehazi did. He's a part of the whole religious thing. He's right there with the prophet in the land. That's kind of what's so scary. He is with the prophet who God has anointed in a special way above all other prophets in Israel at that time. And yet, he misses out on walking by faith. I'm reminded of the story of Tom and Bobby who passed away. Tom and Bobby were brothers and they lived wild lives and wicked lives and they took from people and they stole from people and they just did all sorts of things they shouldn't have done. But Tom and Bobby wanted the veneer of a good life and so they attended church and they put the biggest offerings into the plate and they bankrolled a lot of things at the congregation. But the rest six days of their week, they lived very wicked, very bad lives. And one day, Tom and Bobby got a new preacher. And he was young and he was dumb and he actually believed that God's word should be listened to and obeyed and actually believed that if you did that, it would change people's lives. And Tommy and Bobby, they quickly found out that that young preacher knew about their sin and he wasn't going to play their game. Well, not long after the young preacher had shown up, Tommy died and it came time to preach a funeral. And the preacher was going to preach the funeral. And Bobby got worried because he got worried about what is that young preacher going to get up and say because my brother and I are wicked, wicked men. And he knows it. And I've seen enough of him on Sunday morning. He might just call us out in front of the whole church. And Bobby got worried. And so Bobby went to the young preacher and he said, Preacher, I know you know a lot of things about me and Tommy. And I know that you know this and that and the other and you know all this stuff. And he goes, but look, I'll make a million dollar contribution to the congregation if you will just say, if you will just say that my brother was a saint. If you'll just get up there and say he's a saint, I'll make a million dollar con- contribution. In fact, he said, if you'll promise me that, I'll write the check to you right now. The young preacher sat there and thought for a minute and he said, Okay, I'll take your million dollars. Go to checkout, gave it to him. Two days later, the funeral rolled around. The preacher got up. He said, this is going to be a hard sermon to preach today. But I want you to know one thing. I want you to know one thing about this man in this coffin. Compared to his sorry brother over there, he was a saint. A saint. Here's the thing. Some sins I know. And some things I know, but a lot I don't. But at the end of the day, you don't answer to me. You answer to God. You will not give an account to me. You will not be responsible in that sort of way, and you won't be to anybody else. It will be to God. And this is a God that sees the heart of Naaman and sees the heart of Gehazi, and he knows the path they're on. And this is a God who loves you so much that he has brought you here today to hear this word to remind you if you are on the path of the curse. Get off of it and walk by faith and trust the Lord Jesus to provide for you and to show you and to teach you. So are you like Naaman today or are you like Gehazi? Naaman makes confession, Gehazi creates lies. Naaman gives an offering, but Gehazi steals from others. Finally and thirdly, Naaman seeks God's approval. That's the path to blessing. Seeking God's approval. Gehazi seeks material things only. Look at verse 17 and 18 again. That that part that I said is one of the most interesting verses in the Bible. Verse 17, Naaman said, Surely shall there not, then I pray you, pray thee, be given to your servant two mules burden of earth. Load up two two packed mules full of, of, of land from Israel for your servant. Because henceforth, from this time forward, I will offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto any other God but unto the Lord. That is going to make him noticeably different from everybody else around him. His family, his friends, his king. He says, I will no longer go in. And can you imagine when he had that leprosy? When he had leprosy, I imagine that there were many times that he went into the temple of Rimen and he got down on his knees and he and he offered sacrifice, and said, Remen, just save me from this leprosy. Just heal me, just just cure me. I can imagine that his devotion was deep to the gods of his land because he wanted to be cured. But he says, I will never do it again. But in this one thing, would the Lord pardon me? He said, Will the Lord forgive your servant that when my master goes into the house of Rimen to worship there and he leans on my hand and I bow myself in the house of Rimen, when I bow down myself in the house of Rimen, would the Lord pardon your servant this one thing? Naaman is bound to this king. He is not free to do whatever his conscience tells him. He does not live in a land like America. There is no excuse for us. What is sad with this story is we live in a land where we have freedom. And even if they were to take it, nobody in this room has born. none of you have been born into allegiances that you are bound to of that type. You're not, we're not bound that kind of way. So even if somebody did show up today and began to do things, we would all have a choice in whether or not we yielded into that system or not. We would have a choice about what we would do. Naaman is already bound to this king. He is his servant. It is this king that has allowed him to go. And he is worried because he knows in his official capacity he'll be forced to be part of something he doesn't want to be a part of. And he said, the Lord God, would you ask the God God, to forgive me of this? Naaman is deeply concerned. He has made a confession of faith. And his salvation, his cleansing, has affected him so deeply, he is now concerned about the life that he is going to live. He is concerned about behavior that God approves. I think the closest example for us would be like a police officer or a military individual. Uh, If you found yourself at the courthouse and you were responsible and they asked a person of another religion to pray and you were forced to, you're not the one doing the prayer, but you're forced to be there as a part of it, as some sort of civic thing, and you have a hard decision to make. And listen, sometimes Christians, increasingly as our world, unless God does something, people are going to have to make decisions and not all of us are going to do it the same way. The important thing is, are you seeking God's approval or man's? It's okay. It's okay if we don't all land the same place as we wrestle soothing things. What's not okay is are you are you seeking some other approval other than God? And what is so embarrassing is we look at this story, and I know there are some people that say, "Ah, look at there. Naaman is told to go in peace, so I can go and do the sin that I want to do, and God will be okay with it." If you thought that that was okay, that's probably part of the reason you were told the story of Gehazi to know. God is not okay with willful sin. He's not okay. Now, there's a lot of things God could say at this moment to Naaman. A lot of things He could say. Naaman has confessed him, and Naaman has offered to him. And Naaman wants to do what's right. He is desperate to do what's right. And look at the wonderful words that God's prophet says to him. He said unto him, Go in peace. If if you have tasted before in your life the peace of God, and if it indeed is the most wonderful peace in all the world, say Amen. Can you imagine the relief within Naaman's soul? Can you imagine the relief when the prophet says to him, Go in peace. But Gehazi He's not interested in God's approval. He's just interested in what He can get. In Galatians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament asked this question, what's my ministry about? He says, do I now persuade men or God? He said, am I supposed to be concerned about what men and women think or about what God thinks? Do I seek, the Apostle Paul asked in Galatians 1, do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Can I read that again? Apostle Paul said, If I yet please men, if I seek to just please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So my friends, Naaman sought God's approval. And Naaman gave an offering. And Naaman confessed God's glory with his mouth. Which path are you on? Are you on the path of walking by faith that results in the Lord God saying, "Go in peace," or are you walking in the path of disobedience that one day will blow up in your face and will bring God's judgment upon you as white as white as the leprosy was on the skin of Gehazi? Hebrews nine twenty-seven says, "Is appointed unto men once to die, but after that the judgment." Are you stuck on your path of destruction? Or are you on the path of God's blessing that comes from the cleansing that only He can give? As the musicians come, now don't look at them, look right at me. As they come, you're here today, and you say, I can't be saved, I can't be forgiven, I can't, I can't confess anymore with my mouth who God is. I've done too much wickedness. I've done too much wrong. Naaman is a pagan general from a pagan land who God only knows all the sins individually and as a part of His nation that Naaman had been a part of. And yet God reached down His hand in mercy and He took Naaman and He cleansed him and He not only changed the outward Naaman, He changed the inward Naaman. My friends, if you confess Jesus as Savior and you trust Him and you walk on that path of obedience, there'll be storms all around you. There may be storms in your own home. There'll still be storms in your job. There'll still be a lot of craziness. You might be like Naaman going back to a situation that, well, I don't know how this is going to play out, but you'll have what He had if you confess and you walk in faith. You'll have a peace within that all the stuff going without cannot steal from your heart. Would you go in peace today? Or would you walk in your own path of destruction? The decision is yours. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, I ask that you would use this message. The choice before us is simple. It's either to walk in your path or our own pride. Lord, I pray today, if there are those that they know the sin in their life, Lord, I pray they would not leave this room until they have confessed with their mouth their sin and look to You for their salvation. Lord, if they're believers, may they confess and begin again to walk by faith and trust Your Word. Lord, I pray if there's one, maybe they've been hiding sin for a long time. Maybe they haven't been hiding it. Maybe they've just been doing it. And it's all been okay, but Lord, You know that this is the week that it's all going to blow up. Lord, I pray that that one would come and that they would have a heart change like Naaman had, that today they would come and confess their sin and they would walk with You. Lord, You are so good to Naaman and You're so good to us. Move it this time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.